Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Every week, the Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio. And with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Good evening. Tonight, we are pleased and delighted to have with us as our special guests, Catherine Morse and David Drake, creators of Drake and McTrowell. That's a steampunk fantasy that you can find at drakeandmctrowell.com. And it started out as a written story and is about to become much more than that. Welcome, you two. Welcome to the Event Horizon. Hello, hello. Hi, Gene. Thanks for having us. So, first of all, how did you start out with Drake and McTrowell? First, tell us what it is. Tell the audience what it is so that we have a better idea of, of what the whole thing is and how it came about. Okay, so Drake and McTrowell is like a... It's like a penny dreadful. It's a serialized fiction in what we hope is the style of the old Penny Dreadfuls. It's on the web, so it's free. Um, free is good. It's free like beer. And uh, so we are a writing team, our husband and wife writing team, and we take turns. We post once a week, usually along about Monday, if our day jobs don't interfere too much. But uh, we take turns writing, so if you read an episode one week by one of us, the episode the next week will be by the other. It, uh, it follows the fictional adventures of our steampunk personas, uh, Chief Inspector Erasmus Drake of Scotland Yard, um, a stout-hearted man, and uh, Dr. Sparky McTrowell, uh, pilot and flight surgeon uh, for Western and Transatlantic Airship Lines and general all-around adventurous. And we got started, I guess it's been... I guess we started just over three years ago. Um, I was sort of interested in steampunk. I'd gotten involved in reading Girl Genius by the Folios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I-, I should say, as a side note, Drake and I both read comics as children, and it was one of the things we kind of bonded over when we first met. And uh, we used to, well, we still go to Comic-Con, but uh, we started going to Comic-Con together, and um, that was back like in the Paleolithic era when you could just walk up that day and buy tickets and walk in. And that's where I discovered, yeah, and that's where I discovered Girl Genius. Yeah, those days are long gone. Um, So I discovered Girl Genius there, and it kind of resonated with me with the style and the, the really strong female heroine, but also the humor of it. So about three years ago, we, um, a friend of ours from work said, hey, I'm going to be up in Oakland on business. Why don't you guys drive up? There's this, we know you're kind of into steampunk. Uh, let's go to this steampunk convention. It was it was Nova Albion. And we showed up, and um, we realized everybody was wearing costumes. We're like, I guess we have to get costumes. So we started buying costume bits, and, and then we're like, okay, but if you're going to have costume bits, you kind of have to have a character, and you need a story. And so we sort of made up these personas are uh, kind of on the spot right on the spot we absolutely uh i was walking around these tables and at the time you don't know how much money you're going to spend or how much of a commitment you're going to make lots of money and Usually far uh, more money than you realize yes yes 
Well, we did we did uh, one expensive. Uh, we we bought some uh, leather uh, overcoats and uh, bowlers and and the appropriate uh, headwear. But then I ended up picking up a policeman's whistle, and that was enough to say, "Well, the character I want to play is maybe a maybe a do-gooder. That'll that'll be a little different." And uh, so we we went with that, and uh, actually had the conversation of, "Gee, what could Catherine's role play be?" And um, it turned out there was something from her history uh, with her brother that ended up creating a McTrall character. Oh, that's interesting. Now tell us about the brother. Okay, so uh, so my younger brother uh, does audio post for movies and TV. Right these days, he's uh, <laughs> he's working for Drake's making funny hand gestures here, cracking me up. Um, right now, he works for Disney, and uh, but we've been very close ever since we were children, and. Uh, but I have to confess that the whole McTrowell part of the name goes back to a story when he was about eight and I was about 12 and we had sort of a fight in the yard. And as he ran away, it's possible that I hit him in the head with a garden trowel. No, mm. you actually did. So <laughs> I so just want to say in my defense, though, it, it was handled first. So, so John said, you know, I'm going to go run tell mommy. And he jumps up, and he runs away, and Catherine, looking around at what tools were available, <laughs> she picks up a garden trowel and heaves it, you know, at, you know, javelin-style, end-over-end, thing flips over, and hits this child, which was, how much younger is John? Four uh, years. Four years, and nails the kid right in the back of the head. He goes down, sack of potatoes, clunk. Wow! <laughs> Anything now, when, can be a weapon. Nice shot. <laughs> I have to say, by the way, that when my little brother tells this story, I look like Joe Montana in his glory days or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John, you know, Catherine comes running up. You know, it's oh goodness, I've I've damaged my brother permanently, um, and rolls him over, and he looks up and tells the 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 now famous line, "I promise I won't tell mommy." <laughs> So, so, not that long ago, maybe four years ago. When when did he actually send the present? That was, that was four or five years ago. Four or five years ago, you know, trying to figure out what birthday present John should send send Catherine. He sent her a a uh, a very nice trowel, a garden trowel, garden trowel with the inscri- inscription on it, Sparky McTrowel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Balance um, for throwing, no doubt. And that was for the throwing. <laughs> and so it's it's sitting here as one of our trophies of, of life uh, on our shelf. And uh, Catherine had that in mind when she actually was going around looking at these various uh, accoutrements for steampunk uh, clothes. And she thought, wow, what a great you know nickname. Let's, let's stick with Starky, Sparky McTroll. Um, then the next thing that happened within a matter of a month or so, we were sitting around with friends at work talking about going to this thing. And of course it sounds otherworldly if you've never been there. And we said, gee, we ought to like write a story about this. So, so we actually were sitting when, when this friend mentioned this, when we were having this chat, we were about to go into a meeting at work for our day jobs and it wasn't a very exciting meeting. Another and boring meeting with boring manager Rob. <coughs> you said it, not yes. me. <laughs> so I sat down, and during that meeting, I wrote the first episode. And the first episode is one paragraph. I mean, most episodes these days are like, if you were if you put them in Word, they'd be like three to five pages. This uh-huh. first one was like one paragraph. So I wrote this, and I showed it to Drake, and I showed it to. Uh, to my friends. Oh, so in real life we work together as well. And um, and Drake said, you know, we could set up a web page and we could just do this, like this fiction thing on the web page. And our friend, um, John, not John, my brother, um, Big John as we refer to him, uh, said, yeah, I'll bet you guys will do like half a dozen episodes and then you'd be like, yeah, whatever, I'm not doing that anymore. 
So um, three years later, three years later, three years later, <laughs> now, I have to say in Big John's defense that at the one year mark, he confessed that he was beaten. And so he he paid up with a really nice bottle of red wine. And he's, by the way, been immortalized in Drake and McTrowell as John Redshirt. I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> in every one of the stories, you know, the, the, the whole storyline, there's some character who in whatever language is his native language is John Redshirt. So in the, in London, where it all began, he's John Redshirt, and then in the Bavarian Airship Regatta, he is Ivan Krasnaya Rubashka, <laughs> and, and and in uh, in uh, Her Majesty's Eyes and Ears, he's uh, the French diplomat Jean Chemise Rouge, and, <laughs> and of course, as you can expect, he always comes to a. Um, horrible, unfortunate enough to at the end, yeah. There's an opportunity for a Wilhelm scream. There's always an opportunity for a Wilhelm scream. So, as you can tell, the adventures are actually uh, lighthearted, but um, we try to get a little drama in there, a little bit of romance. Um, uh, so there's, you know, laughing and crying and, uh, and all those good emotions. Mm-hmm. The things that make stories worthwhile. Hopefully. And uh, we try to put in a beginning, a middle, and end, but not necessarily in that order. <laughs> oh, I like that. What I really like about this whole thing is that uh, most people go about trying to create something. And they have the idea, and they set it up, and, and uh, they execute the idea. And that isn't what happened here at all. No. The <laughs> idea sort of had you. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And matter of fact... Um, Along those lines, there was a a game we played in high school where somebody would sit down to a typewriter and write like a paragraph, and then you'd switch people, and they had to keep going. And oh yes, and and it it, always came out dreadfully. Yeah, usually yes. Just there were a lot of fun. See, there was chat before there was an internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and but however, there's actually as much as we've just said that that comes out dreadfully. That's pretty much the way that we've been writing, is that we, we let the, the story grow very organically and throw what we call hot potatoes at each other, which, in other words, remember the, the Batman series where on Wednesday they'd have Batman in some horrible situation on TV, and then on Friday they'd resolve it? Oh, well, yeah. Uh-huh. We, we do that to each other on a weekly basis. In other words, at the end of each story there's some collection of things that need to be resolved that the next person just, the next writer just has to take care of. And so we, we bounce things back and forth. And in case you're wondering, um, in July of this year, we'll celebrate 20 years together. So it seems, oh, <laughs> seems not to have undone us yet. Um, well, I mean, and this goes back to, you know, the Republic serials and for that matter to Shahrazad and the Thousand and One Nights. So, yes, you know, yes. You, you... I should be so good. Well. <laughs> so, uh, the funny thing about this back and forth thing is we finally decided um, a couple of months ago that we ought to do something with that as an idea. And so what we've um, at the uh, there are a couple of conventions coming up that we're going to be at and we're going to be premiering. It's not exactly a panel. It's kind of a game show. It's called uh, Drake and McTrell's Hot Potato School of Writing. <laughs> and, I, and we try and give the audience this experience. We've been working on it with some friends. So we did a first draft, and some friends came over, and they read through the rules. We got some, some game-playing friends. They read through the rules, and I gave us some feedback. And uh, we made some updates, and then they came back about a week later, and we actually set up the living room like like a panel at uh-huh. a convention, and we actually played the game. Um, and we made some more changes, and we're going to be... We're going to be... They're, we're going to be premiering at this... the um, At... Uh, at uh, Gaslight Gathering and doing it also at uh, Clockwork Alchemy. This is, that sounds like a whole heck of a lot of fun, first of all. And then the, the second thing is, I'm, it sort of brings me back to the original point. It's like this, this whole thing has a mind of its own and you are, you've been drafted. And you're, yes. you're not getting out of it. <laughs> you're you're and, absolutely uh, right. And wonderful things are happening. It's just, it's getting bigger and bigger and more and more fun and more and more wonderful as it goes. Um, so who's who are your uh, uh, co-conspirators here? Your cast members? Other oh, crew? 
Well, um, well, we have to thank Krypton Radio for uh, for suggesting that we actually take these uh, adventures and turn them into radio shows. So, as as part of that, <laughs> actually, I think that was that was uh, Kath- Catherine's idea. Well, it was kind of my idea. Actually, you know, it's funny that as an idea, it's um, it's like all Drake and McTrowell ideas, to be perfectly honest. Um, and that is that it started out as this little tiny idea that just really got out of control. Got out of control. It's like a little puppy with big feet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like out a little puppy with big feet. You know, so, I, maybe maybe it wasn't. Catherine's idea. Maybe it was Sparky McTrowell's idea. Yeah, yeah, because you know that woman is nothing but trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean this. This is how. This is how. For for the listening audience, this is how it worked out. Uh, Catherine, uh, I we had posted an article uh, some months back about this wonderful uh, steampunk story website that we felt deserved attention because the stories were so cool. And it's, uh, let me get the URL, it's uh, drakeandmictrowell.com, no A in the Mick. And two L's. And, and it's, uh, and two L's, and the word and is spelled out. So it's drakeandmictrowell.com, the adventures of Drake and McTrowell, perils in a postulated past. And uh, we did a review of the site. And, uh, and then Catherine, uh, you wrote me back, and... Um, and thanked me for the exposure. And then a little while after that, you wrote me back and said, what if we did a radio play? Now, I just have to say at this point, Gene, that I was thinking this was going to be like five or ten minute snippets where we just kind of read from the stories and not, in true Drake and McTrawl fashion, this enormous thing that it's become. Which would have been okay. You know, I thought I think even that would have been me. cool. But but I'll tell you, this is uh, uh, this is exactly the right the right thing at the right time and the right way. This is what Drake and McTrowell needed to be next. And, I, I agree. Uh, I don't think we're done. I think Drake and the it's so um, infectious. It's so you've created your world, and it's so solid, and it's so real. Mm. Drake and McTrowell, the motion picture, the lunchbox, <laughs> the beach towel. Well, actually, uh, Drake and McTrowell comic books, Drake and McTrowell oh. web series. Uh, actually, I just want a plush. Yeah, I just want to be able to hold it at night. <laughs> Um, actually, we are working with an editor right now to put out an ebook and maybe a hard copy. Uh, so uh, we're working with uh, a number of artists right now um, uh, to illustrate the very first uh, book. And uh, unfortunately, uh, going through and doing the editing on the book is is taking its usual amount of toll. Uh, but um, that is definitely work in progress. But um, we I, we know some publishers. Ooh, you know they're not they're not big publishers, but we know some publishers. That would be that would be an excellent uh, diminutive publishers would be of interest. <laughs> so our our current plans were just to do an ebook because because that's just you know less expensive and you don't have the the risk of uh, hard copy. But yeah, we'd love to do hard copy. Well, you and do we're, the way you do hard copy is you do print on demand. Yeah. Correct. Yes, yeah, we you agree. Don't have, you don't maintain, you don't have stock to maintain, you don't have the upfront. Right. This is Back why in, there is Cafe Press and Luna, yep. Lulu, and that's sort of mm-hmm. really, Yeah. Just don't pay real money upfront because they're, those are rip-off artists. Yep, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Vanity Press. I mean, they're, uh, back in the 70s, I, I, uh, when I was a kid growing up in Burbank, uh, I happened across a guy who was Sat forlornly towing a uh, a uh, wagon, a radio flyer full <laughs> of uh, of books that he'd written about tourism in California, and he was going mm. from bookstore to bookstore, towing this wagon, trying to get them to take his book. And oh. it was the saddest thing because he'd done this vanity press thing. And he'd spent like four thousand dollars, and which was a lot of money in those in days. 1975. And he put everything into it, and it was just a disaster. And 
Yeah, thank God we don't have to. Those days are gone forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, so yeah. are the days of having bookstores within walking distance. That's true. Mm. Well, so the, one of the things that's going to be unique about the ebook is that, um, so it'll be kind of like, uh, a little bit like a children's book or a young adult book in the sense that there'll be a lot of illustrations in it. So there'll be an illustration every three or four pages. But we're working with a number of artists. Mm-hmm. So the, um, and we got this idea from the commissions that we've done, and you can see them on our webpage if you scroll down yeah. towards the bottom, go to the tag cloud and hit artwork. We've, done, we've had various artists do commissions, and that gave us the idea to have different artists illustrate different scenes so that, um, so that it's not visually consistent, so that we see different artists' interpretations of the, the wild world of Drake and McTrowell. Oh, that could be fascinating. Well, the, the, the publisher that I, mentioned, that I had in mind, actually, uh, we just interviewed, uh, who oh. was just on uh, two weeks ago. His name is James Palmer, and he runs Mechanoid Press. And uh, his thing is um, New Pulp. Oh, fantastic. And it sounds like it would be a good fit for Adventures of Drake and McTrowell. And I think he'd be very interested to, to speak with you, and I can, we can hook the two of you up and get you on the same show sometime. My thought oh, cool. is app. app. Like a Mac app, I, and, a, and a, you know iPhone app, iPad. This would make a great iPad oh, yeah. map. Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially with the pictures. Yeah. You know, make an iPad app out of the book and sell the book that way. Well, uh, that? yep. And, uh, we, or an Android app. That would make there's, sense, too. Since it... all sorts of potential. So, um, let's see. It is... Uh, we're about 20 minutes into the show at this point. I would like... If and we've it's... designed your future for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I would like uh, uh, to play that uh, sizzle reel oh, okay. that you sent sent us, uh, so that the listeners can hear a little bit of the magic that you've created. A teaser, if you will. Yeah, a teaser, exactly. Okay, here we go. Krypton Radio presents. The Adventures of Drake and McTrawl, Perils in a Postulated Past. Eighteen fifty one, the age of almighty steam and ambitious empire. Chief Inspector Erasmus Drake is about to cross paths and wits with Dr. Sparky McTrowell. What a lovely little romance it could be. If only the mad scientists, air pirates, international conspiracies, and imperial intrigues would just get out of the way. This is London, where it all began. Episode 1, Dr. McTrowell Lights. In the hustle and bustle of the London airship port, she was hardly noticed. The ground-sweeping leather duster would look out of place on the Marleybone High Street. It was only slightly unusual among the international air travelers, owing to its being worn by a woman, and a slight one at that. One or two of the air stevedores took note of the wisps of blonde hair poking out from under her aviator's cap, and the well-turned ankle barely concealed by buttoned ankle boots. But the icy look in her eyes when she removed her goggles suggested more trouble than such a small morsel might be worth. She signaled one of the air stevedores with a whistle and pointed to several travel-worn trunks. From a pocket concealed inside the duster, she produced an engraved calling card and an elaborately enameled pen. She flipped over the card and rapidly scrawled an address on the back. Pulling a florin from another hidden pocket, she handed both to the stevedore, turned on the heel of her boot, and strode off into the melee of the airship port, completely trusting that the generous tip would be sufficient to ensure the safe delivery of her belongings. The stunned stevedore bit into the coin to verify it and check the address. He heaved the trunks onto his cart. Only then did he turn over the calling card. It read simply, Dr. Sparky McTrowell. Episode 2, Curious to a Fault, in which Chief Inspector Drake is introduced. The furniture wasn't actually new. 
The desk showed signs of wear, and one of the drawers didn't operate smoothly. The springs in the chair that allowed it to rock back a bit squeaked, and the wheels had seen better days. But for Chief Inspector Erasmus Drake, the office felt new. With his recently appointed title, and the office that went with it, Erasmus sat and looked out at the teams of constables, taking on a myriad of minor cases that had popped up today. But in the wake of the last major case, all of these were standard procedure, run-of-the-mill crimes. The perpetrator was most likely known, and in most cases already in lockup, and if protocol was followed properly, going to be tried and sentenced without incident. Three such cases had been turned over to the magistrate this morning. Scotland Yard was running in its usual efficient manner. Erasmus was taking all of this in. He was in his den of quiet reflection while the workers buzzed in the hive. He was rewarded for a job well done after months of grueling police work. And here he sat. The comfort of success lasted less than five minutes. The leftover details mostly unrelated to the closed case, were gnawing away at his penchant to resolve loose ends. There was that eyewitness who mentioned the unexpected overwhelming smell of freshly ground coffee in the back of the temporary exhibit room at the Grand Pavilion. Or was it cocoa? The room was for electrical apparatus, not for the dispensing of food, nor entertaining. What was the name of that witness? Mr. Hampstead? It would be in his notes, he knew, but why ferret them back out? They were filed away in the closed case. And this wasn't the only remaining unturned stone. Why was Mr. Hampstead, if that was his name, who was of questionable character, running errands for the like of Professor Farnsworth? The professor had many students who could perform these manual tasks for him, and with greater clarity of purpose. These questions not only nagged at Erasmus, but set up shop in the back of his mind and went about tinkering in such a manner as to spring to life more questions, who then joined in with their shopmates. Enough, he thought. He sprung up from his chair, grabbed his cane and bowler, and headed out of his office, into the bustle of the precinct and towards the street. This curiousness will not stand unsolved. Wow. I mean, this you listen to this and you have the entire environment all laid out from an audio standpoint. And it's very clear that that you have uh, you've got this benefit of, of this awareness of the of audio and how important a soundtrack is from from being associated with your brother, I think. And what do you True. think? Yeah. So um, I have to say that yes, I all the years with my brother and you know watching what he does and going to see and hear his movies um, has made me keenly aware of audio as an experience it also makes me really snotty in movie theaters because you know when i sit in the movie theater and somebody's talking behind me all i can think is a bunch of people like my brother and all his friends all sat in some dark little studio putting all this sound in so we could enjoy it and you're talking over it (laughs) well it's like people who put you know ketchup on their food before they've tasted (laughs) but i i do have something to add though which is I swear, adulthood is trying to get the things you always wanted as a child. And I had three major things I wanted as a child. I wanted a pool table, I wanted a typewriter, and I wanted an automatic calculator. And it turns out I was missing something, which was... You didn't want the beautiful blonde California? I did, but I was too young to think about that. Oh, okay. So, but but the, (laughs) the other thing that I now realize as an adult that you really should have is your own theme music. There's something about being able to play music that says, and this is us right before we do some amazing adventure. It's just, it's thrilling. So we actually have these these friends slash fans. By the way, I have to tell you, on the scale of Ego Boo, your first true fan and your own theme music 
are huge. And, and <laughs> I'm it's true. It is huge. true. I'm here to tell you, okay, no brag, just fact. I hold two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, and a PhD. And the two of us have written dozens of technical papers. And nothing compares to the excitement of our first two fans coming up to us at a convention and, at a convention and going, oh, are you drinking McDroll? Oh, I love your work. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Oh yeah. my god. They're like, we're so excited to meet you, and all I can think is you are just not as excited to meet me as I am to meet you. <laughs> and the irony of the situation is that we were about a hundred miles from home, and these people live like three miles from us here in San Diego. No. And they're now yeah, and they're now good friends. Um You had to go all that way to meet them. We that's did. right, that's right. But the other thing is they've been trying to convince us when we go to these conventions that we should put our theme music on our iPhones, and then um, Drake has one of these, you know, portable boom boxes that uh-huh. has Bluetooth on it. So, the little jam box. Yeah, it's the little jam box. And he goes, she said, what she should do is you should walk in with your leather coats blowing behind you, you know, striding in and playing the theme music full blast. So we got we to gotta do that one time. <laughs> oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. At least yeah. use it as a ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> that's I true. completely understand what you're saying, by the way, uh, David, about uh, about the needing to have your own theme music. That's kind of why we started Krypton Radio in the first place. I thought yeah. it was because you you got all the boyfriend points in the universe, because most boyfriends give their girlfriends a mixtape. <laughs> I got a little <laughs> radio station out of this one. That's, that's Ooh, true. I think you scored big on that one, Susan. It's not a mixtape. It's 24 hours of cool music. Yeah. yeah, around the clock. Yeah. You know, every day. And it's it constantly evolves. And... Uh, and with cool people saying cool things. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, I'm... Oh, let's see. I'm going to mark this place down because this is the part where I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> At 26... Uh, 2608. Right. I'm just, I'm just slowly getting used to uh, the stuff I have to do while recording so that we can edit out the crap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, thank God this is not live radio. Oh, yeah. Just, we'll I do live down. radio someday. Yeah, eventually we will when I yeah. get when when we get good enough at it to be able to get through a whole conversation without going, uh, what do we say next? But sometimes I take it out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but I take it out. <laughs> take it out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I take it out sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, so, um... It's in his mouth. No, it's a good point. I, that, <laughs> okay, we're moving on. <laughs> second on. second okay. take. Right, <laughs> so I'm making another note. Time <laughs> signature. Edit this bit out. Not so, cast and crew, apart from your two inestimable selves, who else works on this extravaganza with you? Well, for the, um, for the writing, it is just the two of us. So, we do all the writing. Um, Drake does the web page. And uh, he does the uh, the illustrations that have that signature Drake and McTrawl style, like our, our like our logo. Um, I do a lot of the organizational stuff and a lot of the in between stuff on the web page. You know, so when we go to an event, we have a little thing on the web page that we call bloops. I do a lot of those uh, for the radio show. Um, I do most of the the editing, and of course, we narrate. So. When you hear us narrating episodes, um, we're narrating the episodes that we wrote. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have enlisted the aid of several friends to... Uh, Some to... of them with theatrical backgrounds. Yeah. And uh, so, let's see, we could name quite a few of them. So we've got, um, well, we've got a couple of friends who are boyfriend-girlfriend, Colin Walsh and uh, Karina Montgomery. And uh, Colin is the voice of Drake's arch nemesis, Alistair Bennington Rutherford. And Karina is the absolutely hysterical voice of Mrs. McCreary, who runs a um, boarding house for respectable single ladies. We've also recruited a friend of ours named Ryan Brunton, who's worked with us since he graduated from college quite some time ago. Uh, One friend from the UK, he's actually a professor at Brunel University. His name is Simon Taylor. Um, our acupuncturist? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, I'm missing somebody. Oh, why don't you name 
your acupuncturist. Oh, uh, Michael Spatuzzi. If you need an acupuncturist in San Diego, he's really good. Um, <laughs> and he does voice, too. Um, we haven't dropped needles like that on the radio in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, actually, the, the two fans I mentioned a bit ago, their uh-huh. daughter um, is the voice of uh, the young lady, Margaret O'Malley. And then, the, by the way, the, we've talked about the theme music. The theme music was actually written by Xander Lott. He's a young composer. Uh, he also happens to be the son of Drake's oldest friend in the world. And we, I've known him since he was a small child. Drake has known him since he was born. Stephen Lott. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, also John Chalfant, who really got us off on the right foot in the sense of being able to do the audio in the first place. Which, that's my brother. Now I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to realize that I've forgotten somebody that we roped into doing voices. Then we can fix it in post. That's okay. the motto. Yeah. We can no, fix fine. it in post. Because <clears throat> that's what post is for. Yep. So, um... Oh, boy. I'm drawing a blank here. Uh-oh. This is where you ask us where we get our ideas from. <laughs> Yes, you get them from a post office box in Wisconsin. That's right. <laughs> oh, you know that's. <laughs> but you know it's funny that you should mention that because um, I first heard that quip from Harlan Ellison. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> okay. Really? Did he hit on you too? Uh, <laughs> no, I was I was like a friend's daughter, so I was off limits. I was seventeen, and it didn't stop him. Mm. I have a story to tell you when I see you in person about what Harlan Ellison said to me at Worldcon in 1978 when I was 17 years old. Remind me when I see you in person to tell you that story. It's wholly inappropriate for the radio. Okay. Wholly inappropriate, Batman. <laughs> um, so where, where do your ideas come from? So, stories? so uh, uh, they come from, you know, I'm sure writers tell you this all the time. They come from everywhere. You just have to be open to ideas coming in from everywhere at, at all times. And there's been a lot of those kind of, somebody will say something will be like, wait, we could use that. Um, some of the ideas actually come from our, from our real lives. Sort, yeah. of um, a, sort of a found object methodology. Yes. 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 Um, we have a good friend who um, is a professor at San Diego state and he likes to say, where's the fiction? Which is to say, he sees the two of us in Drake and McTrawl so much. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's things like, uh, I, I mentioned uh, when we were chatting earlier before the show, this this thing we do for my birthday in the summer called Sparky Fest. And it's just like round up a bunch of friends and have some theme and do something randomly fun. And we did one of those a couple summers ago where we um, where we did a microbrewery tour here in San Diego, which is, of course, you know, the microbrewery mecca of the U.S. And at one of the breaks, we were tossing a Frisbee around on a park, in a park, and um, one of our friends had maybe had one too many many beers already. So, out there, we had beer for breakfast, and... uh, (laughs) It's an idea whose time has come. And... um, as usual, I carry a Frisbee around with me. We're playing Frisbee actually inside of the limo. It was big enough for that. And, <laughs> and it was a big limo. We jump out and uh, we go to a park and we're throwing the Frisbee around and Ed decides to do one of these, you know, severe angle, I'm going to curve it. And it went into a, a little threesome family. Bang. And hit hit their small child right in the head. <laughs> and so, and the reason well, Catherine... didn't do that. No, 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 no. no. But, so, uh, it turns out that uh, this friend, Ed, uh, is also um, our, our... He's the basis of... He's the basis of uh, Edwin Pogue in the story. Uh-huh. And so... Um, uh, but not London, where it all began. Um, the oh, Her Majesty's Eyes and Ears. Yeah. But, it, but we ended up mentioning that uh, some scientists in a park hit a child with a small flying gizmo, and it raised quite a kerfuffle. And that actually ended up in the, in the story. So these sorts of things get folded in. 
uh, as they happen. Matter of fact, um, uh, I believe our, our third uh, actual episode within London where it all began actually is sort of based on Comic-Con where there's really strange characters doing strange things and they just they they don't fit into a, a single time period and their clothes don't quite make sense and so Catherine sort of wrote about this tangentially uh, as as being the uh, the scientist meeting what about? Uh, well, scientists uh, don't pay attention to kind of current culture that, do they that's correct the annual symposium of the occidental inventor society yes oh i like that yeah so, um, so where we get some of our ideas, it's the obvious thing. What we see and what we uh, experience and funny stories and uh, we roll things in and people challenge us to roll things in. Can I tell the story about acetylene? You can tell the story about acetylene. Okay, so we're at this convention with a whole bunch of friends. <laughs> this There's is a tool-using woman. <laughs> so we're at this convention with these friends and one of the friends has this pistol... That that it was like a Logan's gun style pistol oh, that yeah. he modified and steampunked, and it took acetylene cartridges. And it was one of those things where I won't name the convention, but they probably should have impounded this weapon because they didn't realize that it was actually a live acetylene torch. So there he is at this convention, and he's demoing it for us, and he lights this thing, goes, <laughs> you know, and there's like this, you know, three foot long blue flame. Mm. And uh, it, was, it was beautiful. Anyway, and uh, I take one look at that, and I go, oh, acetylene, what could possibly go wrong? And this <laughs> oh, other God, friend, you say that. And this other friend turns to me, and he goes, oh, you have to use that. So, so we basically were, were challenged <laughs> to work that in, and so uh, it ends up... what could possibly go wrong? It will. <laughs> <laughs> so... so I'm sorry. You've, no, broke, you've broken the host. <laughs> yes, I am. So my work here is done. So the very first thing that we do when we get back is we look up to see if there was acetylene in 1851. Uh-huh. Well, the interesting part. It, this turns into an amazingly interesting history story. Wait, what, one side note: we have become Wikipedia junkies. Yeah. Go. So. Yeah. So it turns out that the word acetylene wasn't there, but the actual chemical composition of acetylene, which is a, a hydrocarbon, basically, it's like gasoline, only better. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it um, had a cool, cooler name back then, like you know, phlogiston well, or something. Oh well, actually, they they I'm I, unfortunately flammable hydrocarbon. It was a flammable hydrocarbon, and I believe the name was it Brown. No, no, his name is. Uh, I think his name's Edmund Davy. I'd have to look right. it up. Right, Edmund Davy. Mm-hmm. And what's great about this story is that up until this point, uh, they had always assumed, uh, and sorry if I nerd out here, they always assumed that organic chemistry, which is carbons and hydrogen and oxygen intermixing, was totally separate from inorganic, which is a lot of minerals and, and other things. And so they said everything organic had to be created by an organic process. Actually, something living had to do, you know, excrete it or make it or breathe it or do something. And he didn't believe this. And he went into a lab to actually try to make, actually put the atoms together for an organic compound. And it turns out he was successful. And one of the first things he invented was what we today call acetylene. And he, it's like, here it is. This is an organic compound, and I made it in the lab. And so suddenly all of science kind of changed, uh, or at least in the sense of chemistry. And so we're reading about this. Oh, we absolutely have to add this, at least a flavor of this, into the story without nerding out too much. So, so spoiler alert, um, in Her Majesty's Eyes and Ears, remember that whole John Redshirt thing? Uh-huh. Yeah, one of them, one of his incarnations... Um, Meets a nasty end. <laughs> Meets a nasty end. Compliments of a cannon mounted to a airship that's loaded with acetylene. Okay, so, basically we're finding out what acetylene is good for. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there's a it's... real home <laughs> <laughs> Barbecued French diplomat. Roasting tasty piggy. So, 
No, that's roasting tasty frog at that point. <laughs> that, that's right. That's that's true. <laughs> so, so that's where we. Wee wee. Isn't that what pigs say? Wee wee. That's <laughs> French pigs. Yes. All the way home. Oh, all the way home. Yep. So this well. is this is this is a lot. Of, this is fun stuff. I mean, it, it's yeah. and I have I have to keep reminding myself that. Uh, that your characters sort of emerged from just sort of the the raw ether, and then the stories came after, and it's uh, uh, it's very much inverted from the way uh, from the way writers usually come up with their stuff. And it's just it's I'm reading through some of these uh, some of the posts on on the page, and it's on, on your website, and it's just remarkable. The, the flavor of it and the the uh, the the stories. Uh, well, to, one of the, the, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say one of the things we really try to do is, I mean, we we try to be, um, uh, we try to be in the spirit of the you know the original Penny Dreadfuls in the sense that you know something exciting must happen every week to make you come back next week and read it. But the other thing is that um, we try and be you know, f- funny and serious and, you know, all those things that, that life is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you know, because, among other things, the first people that we write for is each other. You know, so, so one of us will write our post and put it in Dropbox and, you know, I'll, I'll, we have our offices at home and they're, they're in two rooms next to each other so we can sort of hear through the wall. And... You know, I know I've really succeeded when through the wall um, I hear Drake laugh or I hear <laughs> gasp. It's like, yes, I succeeded. And, and I've written some episodes where I cried as I finished them. You know, I was like, I wrote something that was so tragic, it, it made me cry. Oh, Catherine, that's Catherine unfortunately, based the character on one of her best friends and then killed him off. <laughs> I can't believe to this day that she did that, but that's... He's never forgiven me. Oh well. So um, go ahead, Gene. Yeah, you know, we've we've covered this particular point with other writers. It's one of the things you do not do is you don't write your friends into stories unless they're incidental characters, uh, right. because you always have to answer the question: "You killed me with a sledgehammer and a blowtorch <laughs> and people, an avalanche." Yeah, but some people dig on that. I mean, there's you know David Weber. Very, you know, intentionally uh, kills off friends and fans uh, in horrible, horrible fashions, and sometimes they pay for the privilege. Yeah, so, that's, well, that's true, but you know, you, unless you ask them, you know, you don't know what how they're going to react, and and uh, you know, it's just. It well, often... I think John Redshirt knew about this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you saw that coming. Yeah, yeah kind of. Did. So, so here's the official party line. There are a number of characters in Drake and McTrawl who are based on friends. And it's in, uh, in almost all cases, except for the one that I had to bump off, because otherwise I was going to have to come up with a proof to Fermat's last conjecture that didn't require contemporary math, which was beyond my skills. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd written myself into a corner. But um, we haven't... That's the only one we've killed off. So basically what we do is we make... When we write our friends in, they're, they're heroes. So Jonathan Lord Ashley is based on our dear friend Shoke Pathy, and, mm-hmm. and Dr. Edmund Pogue is based on our friend Ed Pogue. And, um, However, our lawyers tell us that in the beginning of the story, we're going to say that none of these characters <laughs> oh, wait, maybe are based edit- on any of our friends or anybody we even know, living or dead. <laughs> so that covers that. Yes. Yeah. your Heine. Yeah, yeah, and but I also have true. to say that <laughs> any resemblance between villains and any people we might have met in real life is completely coincidental. Completely I coincidental. swear, <laughs> dude, you are not my nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> but but one of the things you asked Gene was where did things come from, and one of the things we've recently. Uh, challenged ourselves is to look at different um, uh, style of writing and one of the things I've looked at is uh, noir and Mm -hmm. one of the challenges is to make the characters complex enough and have internal 
uh, challenges to make the stories more believable and have more depth. So we're, we're working those sorts of things. So how many subplots at a time do you have going at once? <laughs> or are, are, uh, are you in danger and lose? We do, actually. We have, we have flow charts. You have flow charts? I'm not joking. <laughs> wow, you do. Yeah. yeah. In, in fact, when we give our um, our team writing panel, one of the things... So, so we've been um, research computer scientists for a long time, and we know the value of backups and and uh, maintaining artifacts. And so as we went along writing our first few stories, we kept copies of things, including, I swear, um, like plot lines scribbled in two-column format on cocktail napkins at wine tastings. And we used those as, um, you know, as uh, aids in, in teaching team writing. Um, and... We actually do a bit in our team writing panel about how plots tend to expand, and you're like, oh, here's a cool idea, and oh, here's a cool idea. And at some point you're like, okay, I need to take the hatchet to this and bring this back in so you can actually wrap everything up. But, you know, we've had four, five, six things all going on at once. And actually the story we're working on right now, um, st- stop me if I give away too much, but... We're kind of leaning in the noir direction in the sense that there's a lot of things going on and everybody has their own personal crisis which is twisting around their motives and making them do things. And, you know, when all of those characters come together, all with their different agendas and their different crises, of course, you know, things go horribly wrong. And so we're... We're doing some experimenting with that now. It all comes down to who wants what and why can't they get it. Everybody's right. got their own agenda. Turn them loose in a room, see what happens. And even the tiniest interaction has to have some kind of conflict in it or it's boring. You're absolutely right. Because and that, al- that allows us to work with that. Yeah. So um, have you ever wandered down a long plot line? and uh, discovered that there's absolutely no way to, to bring it back into the main trunk and, you, ha- and you've, you end up having to cut the whole thing out? Well, actually, it's funny you say that because um, the way we've been writing is that what we put out each week pretty much has to stay. So we put ourselves in a situation where we must resolve things because unlike writing a novel... We don't go back and clean up a, a plot line. We we basically try to figure out some way to resolve it. And I'll be honest, it's it's caused some real gnashing of you know <laughs> mental brains there. Well, in fact, that's sort of the essence of the whole hot potato thing, uh-huh. because we do we do some kind of outline. And if you look back at the three stories we've done so far, you'd uh-huh. see varying degrees of that. Um, but we're very much adherents to the discovery school of writing. And so, you know, one of us will be writing along and all of a sudden think, oh, this is really cool. I just, you know, I have to go this direction. And I have to say, before we started writing, when I would hear authors say, oh, well, you know, the character just decided to go this direction. And I think, well, that's a little silly because obviously you're writing it. And now that I'm doing it, I'm like, I totally get it. It was like I was following this character and it went this direction. And now I'm in this corner but the beauty of being a sonic thing is, wow, I got us in a really tight spot. But fortunately, this is a really good place to end and lob it at Drake, and it's his problem to solve next week. <laughs> True love. A fresh so brain tell me, may, may be the, the, the discovery school of writing, that's, that's a new term for me. I haven't heard that one. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, the idea is that you can you can take two major approaches to writing, uh, and I'll just say a novel. And one is that you, especially in the sense of like a mystery story, you plot everything out, you write outlines, you figure out how everything works, and then you sit down and you write the narrative against that. Now, the discovery school is actually you start writing narrative and you see where it goes. And um, it's not as completely loose as that. You, you can sort of make some plans. But the idea is that if it takes a left turn, you take a left turn and follow it. And, uh, of course, as you pointed out, 
uh, we actually have multiple uh, plot points going on, so we end up with you know some left and right. And, and matter of fact, one of the things we end up doing as we start to come to a close is we go back and we reread everything we've done to make sure we've uh, you know closed off all of the the small little plot points. Um, and I'm sure that really good readers would say, wait a minute, there's still things that are, that are left there. We're like, yeah, that's for the next book. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's the discovery uh, plan. And, uh, and the real difference is, uh, unlike most writers, uh, we actually can come up with problems that we don't know how to solve, and we toss it to the other person and uh, let them handle it. Now, it, it does help that... Remember, I said we'd been together almost 20 years, and we've written a lot of, we've done a lot of technical work together. So we have a lot of that experience working together as a team. Um, but I would just say, you know, don't try this at home, kids, unless you have a little bit of experience. But we actually were in a writing panel one time where we were listening rather than talking. And <laughs> believe it or not, believe it or not, it happens. It, it does, but rarely. Uh, and one of the authors on the panel said well, that she was a, an adherent to the Discovery School of Writing because, she, as she put it, if I knew how this was going to come out, why would I bother to write it? That would just be boring. <laughs> <laughs> and for her, it probably would be. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So what, you're, what, you're, what I'm hearing essentially is that it seems to conform to a theory that I've had for a while, which is that, um, well... Some people say that our lives are predestined, but I don't nah. like this idea because it means that, that uh, you know, what's the point of living your life? And then the other theory is that we have free will, and this is kind of scary because it means that everything is up to us. Well, I propose a third option, predestined free will, which is to say that points A and B are mostly laid out for you, but how you get from point A to point B is pretty much up to you. Uh, and the journey is the important part. Yeah, and the journey is what you create. And and maybe another, you know, uh, rather than taking the Zen journey approach, the other way is to say you're you're given a hand, like a poker hand, but how you play it is really, can be quite different. So and makes it a game. Yes, exactly, and it makes it a game. And so one of the things that we're hoping in our writing is that the fun that we have in writing comes across and the reader can get caught up in that, almost understanding that, yeah, they're tossing this back and forth. Or I can't believe that Drake did this to McTroll. I mean, I can't believe that he stuck her in this situation and she's got to write her way out of this. Or uh, vice versa, she decided to let him hang off the side of the airship and, you know, just by his fingernails, and how is he going to get out of that? Wait a minute. He hung himself off the side of the airship. <laughs> I'm the one who rescued him, just to be clear. <laughs> and put is, out my shoulder doing it. Yeah, this is, and you're right, by the way. Uh, it really comes out in, in the writing, and it comes out in, in, the, uh, in the radio plays as well. And... Uh, I suppose this would be a good time to mention that uh, Drake and McTrowell is officially going to be a Krypton radio radio serial. <laughs> yeah, we enough of them got done uh, that uh, we're able to start broadcasting them on what day is today? Today is the uh, today is the eighteenth. It'll start in the wee small hours of the morning. We'll start it in the, yes. May the 20th. May the 20th. That's Monday morning. That's puts it at 11 a.m. Greenwich, Greenwich Mean Time, 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. It plays again at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And then on Thursday, the following Thursday, it plays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And it's on every week. For the rest of the the first series, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to death that you guys pulled this off. This is just amazing work. Well, 
Thank you. Yes, uh, we're very excited too. And uh, I, I should mention right up front that we wrote these uh, originally and and for Krypton Radio. This is something that we did specifically for you guys to uh, to be able to play first. Well, we're very excited and honored. Wow, that I I had not known that. I thought that that these had been. Uh, uh, effectively, just conversions of the stories you already had. I didn't didn't know this was these new are stuff. further adventures. Oh no, these are. Oh no, oh, no, no, no sorry. I'm sorry. The the actual uh, putting together the radio shows. Oh okay. Uh, well, yeah. Yes. No, but they are in fact uh, readings of the original stories as they were uh, on the web, and uh, as 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 mentioned with uh, special characters and and uh, each of us reading our own. Uh, writing, which is, it's always interesting to do that. I'm sure that now that you've been on the radio many, many times, you're used to hearing your own voice. For us, it was quite a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. I still sound 12. Is that yeah. my voice? Is that my voice? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to say, I've, I've gotten used to my voice, um, to listening to my own voice. And uh, yeah, and I'll ha- I have to say that if I had known when we started how much work this would have been, I might not have had the courage to do it. No, no, no don't Jake's waving that. me off. <laughs> but I'm glad that he didn't know because I wouldn't have done this. And now that we're, um, you know, now that we're getting ready to broadcast it on Krypton Radio, I'm just, I'm amazed that we finished it. I'm just, I'm just I'm so excited. I'm just convinced that 90% of my voice comes out my nose. Just, just... Oh, not at all. Yeah, I mean, you it's both have wonderful. The, the great I'm, thing is, you both have like wonderful voices for this, and uh, the writing is great. And the 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 not only the your speech is wonderful, but the characters themselves are are deep and robust, and the, the stories are exciting, and it has everything that makes a uh, it has everything that makes a story great. And I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing the first episode air myself. And I may even stay up till three in the morning on Monday to hear it. I oh, you know, I've spent so many hours listening to myself and listening to Drake, and uh, it's just you know, so well, it's work. Yeah, it's it's an effort. Yeah, it is. It, it's a fun one, though. Um, I'm developing skills I never knew I would have. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's always that way when you make something new, and and especially when you make something new that you've never done before. Uh, it's you have the most intense sensation of stage fright, and then when it's all done, oh my god, <laughs> settles and the smoke clears. Uh, you high five each other and you say, "We did it! It's done!" Yeah. Yes. And then it becomes really popular, and you realize, "Oh my god, what have I signed myself up for? <laughs> <laughs> I got to do this every, again." Uh, honestly, every time you go the first series, and I'm like, ah. The second story is the Bavarian Airship Regatta, and and as I'm wrapping up, you know, uh, uh, the last couple of shows for the the first series, mm-hmm. um, all I can think of is everything that happens in the Bavarian Airship Regatta, and I'm like, oh, oh my God, there's the catapult and the parachute. Oh, she's and thinking the, of all the noises that she needs. And there's to add the in. scene in the the you know the engine room of the Burke and Hare, and there's the you know. Hey, it the, could be worse. You could have to build all the props. And the yeah, oh that's, God, that's thank true. God, this is radio. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. You need to you need to drop a giant air fi- airship in the middle of Trafalgar Square. No oh, problem. Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. I just I just fangirled out. Sorry. <laughs> well, it has been. We've had a lot of fun having you on the air. I mean, this thank is, you this so has much. Been thank you. Such a cool, uh, such a cool radio show that you've created for Crypt. This is created for Krypton Radio. This is an yes. exclusive show. You have been listening to the Krypton Radio production of the Event Horizon for May eight. 18- 2013. Our guests have been Catherine Morse and David Drake, otherwise known as Sparky McTrowell and Erasmus Drake of Drake and McTrowell, Perils in a Postulated Past. That's drakeandmctrowell.com. They are also the creators of The Adventures of Drake and McTrowell, and you will be able to hear that on Monday at 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time, on Monday 
at the 20th, 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific and Eastern on Monday. And again, Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. And you'll hear that every week until the series is done. Thank you so much for joining us on the Event Horizon. It has been a thrill and a half, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the shows. Thank you so much, Gene, and thank you for making us a part of Krypton Radio. <laughs> oh, our pleasure, believe me. Thank Good you. Good night, everyone. Oh, Good night. we have one last thing. Oh, I think I think Sparky should push the button. I think Sparky should push the button. Push the button. Push, push the button? Yeah, the, right the sign off? Okay. The big, the big red the big friendly red one. The one that says do not press. Ready? Go. You have been listening to Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for May 18th, 2013. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Our guests this week have been David Drake and Catherine Morse, the creators of the new Krypton Radio steampunk radio drama. The Adventures of Drake and McTrowell. It debuts on Krypton Radio May 20th, 2013. That's a Monday. The Adventures of Drake and McTrowell will air one episode per week, three times a week. Mondays at 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Then again on Mondays, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And then again on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and 2 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio owner and general manager Gene Turnbow and executive producer Susan Fox. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Christine Cherry and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. If you have a company and you would like to be an Event Horizon sponsor, now is your chance. Email us at kryptonradio at kryptonradio.com for more information. Stay tuned for tonight's episode of X-Minus One. <laughs>